0: Hey, everyone. This is the Nips and Sips podcast. Uh, I'm featuring Dr. Jeremy Boyd, uh, my partner in crime over there, Dr. Brandon Cruz, and a very, very special uh, episode today featuring my uh, biggest mentor, Dr. Tom Michaels, who uh, I worked under for probably close to three-ish, four-ish years. Uh, I've been looking forward to this episode for a very, very long time. Uh, the essential, probably original Nips and Sips really started while I was working under Tom. So.
1: Tom, welcome on board, and uh, yeah, thanks for, for coming here. on. So, uh, Yeah, I never thought about this, the whole thing starting with us doing beers uh, after work while we're just BSing and finishing up paperwork.
0: Yeah, I, I re- not until I started typing out those questions, I was like, oh, you know, I was just like thinking of the most like fondest memories of, uh, you know, working with you. I was like, oh shit, you know what? He used to bring <laughs> beers on Fridays, he'd, bring it, he'd give it to the staff and you know staff would kind of like you know have one and leave me and you would finish off the rest and i was like that's where we had some of our best you know mentoring conversations both in life and uh and clinically Uh, so uh, i appreciate all those from both a clinical and life standpoint but uh yeah i guess we'll talk more about that but uh i guess uh starting off with tradition is uh talking about our drinks and that sort of stuff you also mentored me into that you know to grow up from uh yeah, you know, land sharks and uh coronas to uh some more serious drinks. So uh, thank you for that.
1: Yeah, well, that stuff's evolved like crazy in the last few years. Great. Uh,
0: but um yeah, Tom, what are you drinking?
1: Uh you know, Jeremy called me the seasoned uh therapist of this uh, little uh <laughs> podcast. So I have like a fortieth anniversary Sierra Nevada. Well cool. not even my age, but
0: it's about awesome. half as long as you've been practicing.
1: Yeah, true. Uh-huh. My uh, football team no longer has a football name, a name, oh. them a little bit with a logo. Can't say who they are, but
2: I, I have a Washington. feeling you're not, you're not fond of that, that name change there or lack I of. A, I
1: just want a team name. I, even, <laughs> I feel like, uh, you remember a few years ago, Prince became a logo. Yeah. I feel that's how, what the team is like.
2: So it's a logo. It's starting to trend. <laughs> I kind of like the
0: Washington football team logo, I like the, the establishment and that sort of stuff, but. Is a little whack at times. But, uh, you know, Alex Smith is back. Uh, yeah. So that's a great testament to uh, physical therapy and medicine. Oh, God, that's yeah. How many surgeries ESPN's, do you have? Uh, 17?
2: Leg, yeah.
0: Huh?
1: ESPN did a great, like, 30 for 30 on it, showing, like, his whole journey. It was uh, really – I didn't think it was – after I saw that, I thought there was no chance he'd ever actually get on the football field watching kind of where he was. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, probably – a year ago it's actually amazing that he's playing again
0: yeah he's gonna Me,
1: over drop foot.
0: yeah it's nuts and his graft uh i mean i saw pieces of it i mean it was it was pretty gruesome looking where they oh, just like repaired everything and sad yet amazing thing is he is the best quarterback on your team <laughs> uh so i mean haskins and everything like that i mean he's actually playing really well uh yeah. Just need some touchdowns. At least I
1: can finally be close to you now that your Patriots have lost uh, Tom Brady. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not starting off the best, but, you know, it's how you, how you finish, right? So, but, um, yeah, Brandon, what are you drinking?
2: Yeah, so in, uh, in honor, this kind of just happened uh, to work out this way. It wasn't planned. Uh, in honor of Tom practicing 20 years, I have uh, Johnny Walker 18, but uh, it was bought for me about two years ago by Jeremy, uh, so it's now 20 years, so that's what I uh, am sipping on today, and it happened to be worked out that Tom hasn't practiced 20 years and will be kind yeah. of a uh, bit of a theme on the show today, so what yeah. do you
0: got? We'll so to- I have brought out something special. It had more wax on here, but I didn't want to look like an ass on, on live here, so i uh, um, this is from our local brewery uh, in Glassboro, New Jersey, of Arrow. I've had a couple of their beers, but uh, thought it was fitting today. This is a cherry sour beer aged, just like Tom, a little bit, <laughs> in uh, in uh, bourbon barrels, uh, whiskey barrels. I'm pretty pretty sure you, they use makers more. Uh, so I've been really I've been holding on to this for this episode. I'm excited for it. Um, I'll let you know how it is, but uh, yeah, walleye. Fiddle with this there, Tom, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, everything, your career, and, uh, well, you know, can talk about um, some of those other things that we brought up pre-show.
1: Yeah, uh, I kind of got into the profession, like I said, like, like 20 years ago, and back then it was just a master's degree. So I got my master's starting out, and back then, if you look at any research article we kind of go by, none of that was there. So everything was just done around what we were told to do. Sadly, ultrasound was popular and STEM was popular, and all that stuff is what we were just we just did because we were told to. You know, and um, you know, it's nice just in in time things kind of started to evolve, and you know, then I when the doctorate started coming out, so for me the whole doctorate has a whole different perspective because. That was a new thing, so I had my master's, and then all these newer therapists started graduating with a doctorate. So, you know, residencies, all well, you know, board certification—that wasn't really the option. So for me, it was like, okay, now these new therapists are coming out with doctorates, which I just have a master's. So they're touting that they're more highly trained, even though the education was very comparable. So then I decided to go back and uh and get my doctorate. So in my mind it was like just level the playing field i have mine and experience they have theirs so it's kind of like checkmate again like the board certification wasn't really something back then so and, you know that's that's been like the coolest thing like a lot like since that stuff has happened like it's just been like crack for this profession that's becoming so much more highly skilled we got all this evidence and all this other stuff to just drive what we do you know it's 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 cool. I mean, you know, you know, and back to kind of what we we're talking about for me, you know, I bounced around in like uh, corporate stuff for a while. Um, I took a job as a manager two years out, which that was you know, back then when I started, that was like, you know, that was like the progression. You got your job and you went into management and you know, all this higher level advanced training stuff wasn't really out there. So that was kind of like the, you know, professionally, that was the step you took was to become a manager. You know, I look back doing that at two years that was stupid because you know I needed to really focus on being a therapist but in the same token I learned how to multitask and you learn about the business stuff very early on which now the way the profession has evolved that is such a huge thing so luckily I've been around that for a long time uh, and then um, it was like 2013 I was kind of looking for a change and the company I work for now was was uh, was just growing, and you know, they were more focusing on um, education, and the board certification was becoming a thing. So, you know, both life-wise it was closer to home, and professional-wise, I'm like, okay, I want to take a step to you know something a little more, you know, you know, advancing myself in the profession again. So that's why I, I left my old job, got out of the corporate setting, got into more uh, PT-owned uh, setting. Um, part of that was to go and uh, get my OCS, and luckily for me, I had already been practicing for a while, so I met the criteria, I didn't have to go for residency, or sit for it early, um, but the um, the prep for that was just uh, amazing, because the, where I got my DPT uh, evidence and research was not a big focus at that school, so my prep work to get my OCS is what I really, really threw me into learning about evidence-based practice, and all that stuff, it was like, game-changing for me as a clinician like i think i was doing decent as a you know as a pt up to that point but once i kind of got into you know learning all the evidence and learning to balance everything and it it was everything changed
2: so tom i have a couple questions actually on some points that you've um you brought up and you know please tell me your mindset then and maybe even now if, if it's changed something i get questioned a lot um from you know more so new grads, not so much students, but new grads. And if they're in a setting where somebody still has their master's, they're hesitant to, you know, refer to themselves to a patient or in that setting I'm Dr. Cruz, I'll be your therapist today. You can call me Brandon or whatever that introduction is. They feel like they can't call themselves a doctor because their colleague who has more experience and probably knows more on how to treat and manage and things like that doesn't have that. So they feel like they can cross that line or, or things like that. Um, do you feel we should be addressing our patients with that title? And, you know, how did you feel? Like you said, you went back to school to kind of, kind of, you know, one up or checkmate. All right. All, all these kids are coming out, hot shots. They don't know shit. Um, but I know I need to still kind of move with the advancement of the profession. And you went back and got your TPT. Can you kind of elaborate on, on those two things there? Well, I don't, so I really, I don't like to call myself doctor. It's, mm-hmm. it's part of that is
1: too, we're kind of the nature of the beast of our profession is working with people and we need to, you know, as much of it as it's the, the clinical uh, experience and excellence and knowledge, it's that personal side mm-hmm. so that, you know, referring to me as a doctor, you know, for me kind of, you know, you want them to look at you as a person also, You know. Mm-hmm. So I kind of steer away from that for, for that reason. Um, there are times where I'm going to kind of if I get a person that's not what is challenging me with my you know what I'm telling them, I will refer to that and I'm, I'll use that to my advantage to say, look, I do have the knowledge. I can mm-hmm. know, talk on this level. But that's where you know that's where we're in a tough spot as a profession because we're so built around I you know working with people, getting gaining trust, but the doctoring title is a make you the alpha it puts you as a superior but it puts you on this it's more of an impersonal relationship in, in, in my opinion mm-hmm. i would love to be able to marry those two things yeah but at this point you know i don't know how we do that and maybe as the profession goes on and all the older therapists that didn't get their doctorate start fading out maybe mm-hmm. the whole profession is just that and that's a thing of the past maybe that's the time that we start to do it, yeah. but that's, it's it's tough. And then for that new therapist coming out with their doctorate, having a manager that just has a, has a master's or something like that, it's all, it's their boss. So it's yeah. tough to, you feel disrespectful, but so it, I don't really know how we handle that.
2: Yeah, it, it's a can of worms and you yeah. know, not to put you on the spot there, but I want to get somebody, you know, different perspective. We also, mm-hmm. right before the show, we we had a, a a comment that was said where it was just like patients still think that we're a weekend cert. Like, does that title kind of show? Listen, we're not. We're we're more than personal trainers. We're more than a weekend cert. And, mm-hmm. and you know, just hearing your perspective on that, um, it, it was great. Um, yeah. My my follow up question was with your transition to, um, the you know going more OCS and and evidence-based, I guess, how, how did that really, I guess, make that change for you clinically where, you know, or maybe combined with more direct access and things like that, do you feel that helped? And maybe talk a little bit more about balancing out that, that pyramid of evidence-based practice versus solely relying more on just your clinical experience, but now you're incorporating some patient values and beliefs and some of the newer research that was out there.
1: Well, it's great because you have, you, have, you have both. You know, I had, you know, well, so years without having any evidence to just truly go by my own personal experience and my clinical decision-making based on what I found to work. You yeah. know, I always, back then, I always kind of just looked at every patient as a little mini case study. Mm-hmm. But I would try mm-hmm. this, and if it worked, Okay, great. Keep that in the back of my mind. Kind of just building that's up one. my knowledge that way. So it kind of was my own little mini-evidence. Yeah. So obviously, it wasn't count, But I didn't have any biases of evidence either. So that's what, you know, evidence is it's great because it gives us – now it gives us reasons to make our statements, things to back up our statements, which we didn't have then. Mm-hmm. So that's what's you – know, you can kind of balance the two. That's what – I'm lucky because I have – all these years of doing things without being biased by what the evidence told me I should do. Yeah. yeah. That, you know, evidence is great, but it's also, it, it it's all based on very, very strictly controlled studies. Yeah. So you don't so, have, yeah. have those variables that you get in the clinic that alter things. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody's, you know, a person's what's going on in their house. What's going on like more in their past, they, they're, you know, psychosocial like stuff you know it's all it's so regulated controlled it, it, so it, it's got to be balancing the two things and that's where mm-hmm. I, I saw like probably like, like five or six years ago when like a lot of the schools were just all the clinical prediction rules like all that stuff was like that became like the end-all and be-all mm-hmm. and they kind of forced you to like not look at anything else it was like mm-hmm. the evidence says it's there you have to do it and if it's not yeah. there you can't do it
2: mm-hmm. correct but,
1: it's not in, in the last couple years, I'm seeing that changing already. So, thank God, going back, yeah, but we're almost yeah. a too far away from it. It's mm-hmm. we have to learn to marry the two things. It's and true. And, uh... I'm lucky because I have the experience to use to have make my own opinions, whereas newer mm-hmm. therapists don't have all that unbiased time to formulate their own, you know, opinions on what to do with things. Agreed, agreed.
2: Yeah, what I think say? it's
0: like ties into like the fact, that like sometimes we have like people asking us, oh when do I start a residency and some people want to come right off the gates, they graduate their DPT and they want to hop right into it. Um, and then they aren't able to have those experiences and they purely rely on the evidence. And I think I may, mean, I drank the Kool-Aid with a lot of things um, with my residency and under your mentorship of like, I, uh, there was a period where I was trying to paint science everyone to death and you told me I was going to burn out, uh, just watching me one after another, having these way too lengthy conversations. Uh, there's a period where I completely, um, threw out any sort of potential that could be SIJ with a lot of people. And I was missing the boat on a lot of these sort of things and, um, just purely applying the evidence of eccentric loading to like tendinopathies and not looking at the why of why that tendon was getting irritated in the first place. And a lot of these sort of things, um, if I wasn't properly guided in, in your case with the experience that I did not have, I would have just purely been applying evidence and probably would have never gotten all those clients, as uh, where they, where they are, where they get better. Um, so I think that's, you know, a good, Um, kind of discussion with those sort of things is maybe we do need to wait a little bit before we start going like gung-ho with more advanced training and those sort of things. So I think you did an awesome job making that segue where a lot of people in your shoes would just be like, Oh, I'm good enough. I have experience. I don't need to do anything more than that. So I think you did the perfect blend of, you know, experience plus advancing yourself. So kudos to you. and Thanks for all that.
2: Quick question. How, how did, um, how did direct access change things? Like what was, now it's more mainstream. Was there a lot of pushback back then? Did you feel? Oh, yeah, it was. Like, yeah. What, what was that like? It was
1: huge. I like so, you know, I would, you know, which doctors I go in, um, do, do hours with and rounds with, and they thought it was stupid. They're like, how can you go and see somebody without seeing me first? They had they, even now the doctors still don't understand direct access. I mean, that's a lot yeah. of, us as a profession, we need to be promoting ourselves. Yeah, mm-hmm. so with that, um, but it's it's tough too because you, even now you get to some of the corporate therapy companies; they won't do direct access.
0: Yeah, a lot of them don't.
1: And so that's in then back to like with the students going how or how soon do you go into residency? It's it's also it's kind of married into where you choose to start working. So it's like if you know we're very much creatures of habit. So if you choose your first job, you have, you know picking something and it may not be the evidence-based stuff, but you settle into the routine of it. You will adapt and get used to doing it. And then you kind of, at some point you lose kind of that perspective of what you wanted to get to because life is going on. And then, you know, at the age where we all get into the profession, life events start happening. You know, people get married, kids, house, all that stuff. And then the further you get out, the more those variables will impact your ability to make a change to better your profession with you know residency or whatnot yeah so like for me I kind of think that stuff kind of outweighs allowing yourself to sit and work for a couple of years before going into like a residency because you're in the school mindset life's life stuff hasn't started impacting things that you know some people can manage to do both i wouldn't have been able
2: to yeah i agree i mean i went right into it because i had that mindset of i'm young younger now i don't have other things in my way and i'm in that mindset of school and then i've seen people you know with uh you know a husband or a wife and two kids and they're up till three in the morning trying to you know read some articles and put a post i was like I, I don't know how you do it i mean which i even commend them even more for even doing that because you know it's hard and i think that's that's the hard thing about our 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 profession and why it's so hard to. Progress it is because once you start working a couple of years, you get used to that lifestyle or life mm-hmm. events and things like that. And then you don't have your career goes on a backboard. And now you're just trying to make, you know, your, your, your paychecks to support your family. And, and you don't have that extra time because you want to put the extra time towards your family. But okay. then you mm-hmm. never reach true clinical mastery.
1: And well, that's where like in academics, the, your clinical experiences, there has to at some point be a change in way, you know, the clinic model is because it's absolutely ridiculous that the same CPI that I filled out 20 years ago on a piece of paper is still what students are graded on for, for proficiency. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's horrible. Like and the schools have no knowledge or involvement of what's going on in the clinics that they're sending these students to. So mm-hmm. there's that, like we're talking about that, you know, you're going from the, there's the academic stuff, then there's the clinical stuff. And then that could be the residency that might be the bridge that, you know, there's your time to be in the clinic and just kind of gain your experience. But are we, are the students really getting the experiences they need on clinic to kind of set themselves up? Mm-hmm. Like, you, know, you know, luckily like, you know, you guys and me, I, I take pride in giving and teaching my students and making sure they get the best experience. Mainly because I don't want crap therapists out there. I want to put the guide them in like the way to Want to succeed as an excellent clinician, not to fall into this trap of just you know, productivity. I think that might be the window that, that marries everything. That gives you that clinical experience and time
2: to prepare you for residency. But if your clinical experiences are crap. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's a yeah. stat out, and Jeremy, I've talked about it, I think um, 80% of therapists are like the rest of their career is determined on what they do in their first year or two out. Mm -hmm. If you you go work at a corporate place or a mill or a place that doesn't, like you said, have pride in in what they're really doing, um, you know, it's probably what you're going to be the rest of your, your career. And with that reflection, you had said something like when you were studying for the OCS exam, you thought you were doing good up until that point. And then you were going through that study process and you like, your eyes were kind of open to some uh, yeah. certain things. What do you say to those therapists now? And I see it now in, in people who've only been out a couple of years and they're like, Oh, I want to do more, but I'm busy. I can. not And then you, you know, you talk about that. Well, how are your outcomes? Oh, my outcomes are fine. Like in their they're head, they always think our outcomes are fine because of course yep. yeah, people get better just by time. But, yeah. and if you have somebody there or something that's causing some reflection you're probably not doing as good as you think you are
1: no that's 100 percent right mm-hmm.
0: so I, I had a professor who after i got my scs uh i was teaching him and he's just like if i were you i wouldn't do any more after this and he's talking from a business standpoint and everything like that and it's like why he's like it's not gonna gain you any more money or anything like that and I was just kind of took back by it um and I'm like I'm not I'm not doing it for the money I don't expect people to come up like oh you have your your OCS and SES I'm coming to you I mean most of our profession don't even know what that is at this point um I still have people have asked me what what do these mean actually from schools they're like what's this mean? I'm like I mean you should at least know the main ones at this point but um you know, it's just to kind of keep pushing myself to learn more or as brands say, you know, people think their outcomes are fine. Your outcomes are never fine enough. They can always, always get better. Um, I talk about my old, you know, case study that I presented at CSM where um, I got my balls busted for seeing the patient in three sessions and I was mad at the person for writing, oh, you should have saw in one to two. And now I do a case study a couple of years later and so I saw them in five. And now I'm getting mad at myself that I didn't see that person in two to three sessions. And that's it, outcomes can always get better. Our experience that we can give to clients can always be better. And it takes, you know, constant pushing yourself. And, you know, Tom, you, you did it when, you know, we're talking about people are like, oh, I got family, I got all these sort of things. I meant when you were going through your OCS, you had your daughter, right? Yeah. Uh, and other life things that I know about that we can, <laughs> that'd be maybe another podcast episode or <laughs> some other things uh, you're managing a clinic. Uh, so if there's a testament to anybody who can do it all. Um, oh, I know, carry
1: study stuff every, I remember sitting in a doctor's office waiting to get like my physical and I'm like crammed and pulling out like my little uh, orthopedic book, trying to like just cram every little thing <laughs> I put every free moment.
2: <laughs> it was you know, great.
0: So yeah, I mean little moments like that, you know, you can, take to keep pushing ourselves um but just you know people think it's like oh i don't have hours to study i mean you know a little bit here and there does add up over time for sure oh absolutely but uh i guess we're all we're uh, talking on the point of like education continuing and that sort of stuff i'm sure you've uh, had a ton of uh people that you've mentored over the years myself included from both uh you know uh just working under you as like you know, to prep to become a director, and then also while I was studying for my OCS. Um, you know, well, first well, I guess just to kind of break it up. What, what was your favorite man? Uh, favorite memory uh, while I was your uh, mentee? I guess.
1: Oh, that's easy.
0: Oh that's boy, I think I remember, I remember
1: Dan? The first time you. Yeah, know
0: that I know it. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> mm. I'm gonna take a big sip for this one.
1: Yeah, you might just well finish the whole thing.
0: Mm-hmm oh
1: shit. <laughs> well, that was the best I, you were struggling with that for so long and then
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> uh, the timing bro. was perfect there's a patient jeremy had really good rapport with so the patient was very open to him practicing and trying to perfect the technique and it was just you know he's this big guy huge beard
0: huge yeah. huge
1: yeah it's just it's such a Tree nice trunks and i remember had, jeremy just trying over just couldn't get the cavitation that he wanted because you know as much as it have, we don't need it, it's still that validation that you got what you want. Yeah. But I'll never forget, like, sitting in the clinic. It was a tiny clinic. So it was maybe, like, four or five feet away, with where I'm at. And, like, finally gets him set up, gets in the pistol, and gets the cavitation he wants, and he stays there. I
0: don't like, think I even had the cavitation at that point. No? I had the setup right. You were okay. teaching me the setup. We are doing the supine pistol yep. uh, technique. And I just could never get the setup right and I finally got it right. But I think he was like laughing so much I was waiting for him to finish laughing to do the thrust. It was
1: just like this huge awkward pause and then the guy's like, dude, get off me. Yeah, I
0: was, I was probably on top of a grown man who could probably rip me limb from limb if he wanted to as I was like holding him and hugging him for like, I don't know, felt like an eternity. I was like, I'm not letting you go. I had this set up right for the first time in six months. So uh, that's
2: what it's all yeah. about, man. That that those are the moments that uh, like create learning and, and what it's mm-hmm. about. You know, you can read as many articles as you want, but that those side conversations while you guys are there on a Friday night drinking beer or mm-hmm. looking back on you know the faux pas of Jeremy trying mm-hmm. to learn a technique. That, that's where the the magic in this profession happens, and I, I feel like a lot of people don't get to have that experience yeah so it's
0: funny. I went from yeah. awkward moments with manipulations to helping teach them at times, but <laughs> yeah, I knew that one was fucking coming. I was like, God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> that and the uh, taping in the back corner with a pants oh, yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was, yeah was
1: behind the door open the door and I'm like, okay, guys. <laughs>
0: Yeah, behind
2: corner, Jeremy's behind the corner taping. Himself. There was
0: a there was a hallway that led to a bunch of other businesses, and it was like a creepy hallway with like flickering yeah. lights. And um, I was trying to play around with some taping sort of thing, but it was like of the you know the anterior thigh, so I had to get the patient to drop his pants. So Tom comes down, comes in, and I'm on one knee with the guys. He's just in his boxers as I'm taping, and it looked pretty bad. It was. It was pretty bad. It's safe to say I've not done that taping procedure since <laughs> that day. So,
1: um, yeah, yeah.
0: To say the least. Yep, yep, yep. Well,
1: like for so, you, it's cool to watch the growth between, like, you know, you're trying to, be, you know, balance the prof- and growth as a professional with also, you know, you knew the value in establishing that relationship with the patient. So having the fun and laughter and, you know, humorous, one of the best pieces of medicine we had. So balancing that, you know, professionalism and the laughter, like that was great. And forth with all that stuff, you know, kicking soccer balls and like a office that was, you know, what? like 7, square.
0: Yeah. It's time. I it was breaking crap all the time. And yeah, you know, if you didn't like support that, uh, I mean, that's that kind of catapulted my own business. Uh, from the social media perspective, from just a, um, you know, word of mouth referral sort of thing, as people would always say, they're like, well, you actually do things, you know, playing, doing stuff with their sports, or you're you're looking at those sort of things. And, I mean, you did a great job teaching me, like, looking at people as they move and whatever thing. You don't need a special test to look at a person. Like, All right, maybe they have pain with, you know, doing overhead press. All right, so go watch them do that um but like tying in that kind of fun sports element to keep people engaged and if you you know support that sort of thing it was my business probably wouldn't been as as good as it is so um and i appreciate that and all the crap that i'm that, that i broke back in the day i do apologize and now i'm getting it come back with the justin who works for me he's 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 breaking things on like a monthly basis so now i know how it feels i'm like he's Son of a gun. (laughs) Uh, But, uh, yeah, I know. It was an awesome, awesome way to learn and grow, and especially doing it in such a small place.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: It's a tiny, tiny place.
2: Tom, uh, (coughs) question. So, you've, um, you know, when you started, it was was a master's. You've seen us go to direct access. You've seen us go to the the doctor uh, route. Now, board certifications, fellowships, and residencies are a big thing um where do you see the i guess where do you see the profession going and where would you like it to go
1: oh, where do i see it going where do i like it to go you we this is where it's tough you know as a profession we all we you know we're we're a profession that we're all physical therapists we 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 all work and live in the outpatient the orthopedic world there's a whole other of this profession that we don't learn how to do all the same stuff Mm -hmm. Correct, and so we've kind of we're such a small group in our little outpatient world now as a profession we all have to kind of learn to band together i mean we're all dealing with the insurance stuff and reimbursement and that's just that's clobbering us you know Mm -hmm. reimbursement has dropped as our education and our ability to practice in a more proficient level has increased which makes no sense. Mm -hmm. There's got to be a way that we get insurance companies and other medical professionals to kind of understand who we are and what we bring to the table for for us to continue to to grow. I I would love to see this profession get to the point where you got somebody that comes in with a rotator cuff repair. That, you know, the doctor is at a level where we can call them and, you know, we're not just sitting there having to get kicked to the – Medical assistant to leave a message for them to tell the doctor. You know, we're doctors, also. I mean, we should need. I would love to get the phone. We have that respect where, you know, you're working with a you know someone that's had a tougher care or something, and you've got something going on. You calling, you're calling the doctor and talking to personally, like you know, peer to peer. I mean, I mean, it happens over and over and over again that you know you're getting patients coming into the clinic that's seen a doctor for two minutes. They come up with a diagnosis that is eh, quasi okay, but not great. And you, you can't tell them that it's what you found. We're still in this world where we have to like kind of tiptoe around you know, broadcasting that what we know. And you can identify something. somebody has something completely different wrong than what the, you know, the referring position says, but you can't say it. Hmm. I, mean, I would love to get to the point where we're all peers in this. And we have the respect of, like you know, all physicians to being you know at a comparable level, you know, th- because they're surgeons, yeah, they're yeah. great at surgery. We can't do surgery. I'll never say I can, but you know what? I can look at how a person's shoulder moves just as well as a surgeon can. I can diagnose somebody with you know, a cuff pathology just as well as a surgeon can. But mm-hmm. well, why can't we get that respect? from that surgeon or, you know, physician for that. I mean,
2: that's where I would love to see the profession get to from the out. How how do we, you know, what in, you know, in your mind's eye, you know, whether it would happen or not, what do you think we need to do? Is it more people need to join the association? So we have more dollars to fund advocacy. Is it, you know, people, you know, talking to a doctor and referring to themselves as, a doctor because that's how they want to be called? Is it let's call each other by first names because we're on that equal playing field? Right. You know, what is it? The, so, I, I mean, I really think the association has to like go out there and
1: broadcast that that's what they're about. Yeah. And that's, that's what's tough. Like anything that the association is put, putting out, it's not about that stuff. I mean, that's the elephant in the room. Reimbursement sucks. It's affecting mm-hmm. businesses. It's forcing these corporate companies to make new therapists see more and more people to cover costs. They can't learn to be better therapists if they're forced to see more patients. The the APK has to speak to the therapists that are out there struggling. They got their communication with these new grads that are working in these higher volume clinics. They have to say something that they are going to want to hear. And it's, yeah, Advocacy has to be what we're talking about. I mean, the stuff that we're you know we're putting out so much great evidence supporting what we do, but we're just sharing amongst each other. We need to be telling everyone else what we do. It it doesn't help us just telling ourselves. We need to get out there, and you know, and that's got to come from all therapists. Everybody in every type of setting has to kind of get that there's these issues. We're just keep Constantly settling, 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 instead of you know, attacking the problem.
0: Yep. I so. think that starts where what you said before is, the students coming out, need like, or in their affiliations, they need quality affils because a lot of, uh, every student I have, when they go back and they talk to their other students, they, I've, I've had a couple students say in a row that they feel bad for being at my facility um i you know i i think i've heard that even when i was a you know clinician at bsr and those sort of things it's like oh we're doing everything right but most of the classes are not so they just get programmed to the, hey that is the norm and then they get jobs in those said places and only one or two of that entire class of individuals get into a good place and they're trying to advocate but you know, if you got forty-eight other students and shit jobs, you know that's that's the, the majority right there. Um, it's just you know I think there there are plenty there are good clinics out there, and especially with the more increase of cash-based clinics and those sort of things, it's available. It's just you know maybe it's, you know students. I know I had to go out and find my own affiliations. Um, you know, is not settling on these. You know high volume places where they don't really care about the therapist. They care about the bottom line. So, and get into places where there are other people like you and Brandon and such and so forth. But, you know, again, we need to all advocate together. So I think you brought up some great points there, Tom. Um, Choose to that, but, um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, we we're talking about how things have been and those sort of things. I mean, personally, how do you, I guess, stay motivated to, you know, 20 years, Uh, man, we've we've talked about in a couple previous episodes, uh, you know, a lot of, there's a, there's a high burnout ratio for something that, yeah, I think US News continually puts us up at like top five professions every year, Um, at least I think it's been since I was in LPT school of, you know, job satisfaction, those sort of things. And doesn't correlate with the high burnout ratio um, of those sort of things. So I think it is a nice thing. I, I guess we do, regardless of most settings, most people get you know, better to a degree. Um, but eventually the grind starts to, to you know, put us out. And I know even people from my own class and I've been out for seven years. Uh, we're a class of 20 something. I know like three or four people who are either out or they're definitely considering going out within the next couple of years. How's, you know, how do you stay, you know, motivated and, you know, stick with it for, you know, 20 years plus?
1: Well, for me, I kind of like, I really enjoy being a clinical instructor. That's for me what creates that constant change. You know, that's like the key to burnout is to kind of have variety. So for me, that's, I really enjoy that. You know, I've kind of found a nice little, niche with like one school that I get you know, students for like uh, six months. So it's like, I'm not constantly teaching students to, the, to get them up to speed. I get these students that I can kind of build up and then I get to really spend the last half of it really teaching them the, the, the finer points, the, you know, just getting to really work with them on a more in depth level. And I, I think for me, it's that constant changeover of that, which helps keep me motivated. And also seeing how the profession has changed and seeing the potential, I mean, I—it's great to try to get them motivated to want to make better choices. So for me, that's kind of how, how where I how I try to avoid burnout. You know, it's, I mean, it's still our days that are tough, but you know, and then it's you know balancing work and life too, making sure you're doing stuff that that makes you happy outside of work. It's, Yeah. The, um, I think where I was going with that.
0: Beer it
2: happens. (laughs) Burnout comes from no variability from just the day in day out and you're going in and not challenging yourself and just kind of going through the motions instead of being, you know, actively engaged in what you're doing day to day. And I think, you know, the therapists that just go in mind, you know, mindlessly go in their job, they're the ones who hate it. And, Mm. uh, burn out in a couple of years. And like you said, it's not to say that every day is glorious, you know, like any other job you have, you're going to have some days yeah. that are just rougher. You, you wake up, you don't want to, you're not motivated. You don't want to get up. We all have those days as people. It's not the profession, but mm-hmm. you know, add that variability and find that niche that you like inside your profession. Like you said, for you, it's, it's taking on students. It, it's, you know, having them for an extended period of time where you can mm-hmm. see that growth and evolution, And be a part of something else or bigger than yourself.
0: Yeah, and for our students out there listening, I want you guys to listen to what Tom and Brandon just said. Is you know you have someone who who stays motivated by being a clinical instructor. Um, I think a lot of you know, just like some of us vet our students, maybe you should also vet your CIs to the degree of you know you want someone who is passionate about teaching versus oh, you're in the clinic now, you're just going to make my life easier by doing my notes. You're going to see my patients. Uh, You want someone who's going to mentor you, groom you, see how you grow, and is actually passionate about that. Um, Too many times where it's just a CI takes advantage of their students. I personally find for a lot of it is having students is probably more taxing to me um, because I'm teaching them. I have to explain all my thoughts to them. I have to challenge them and how I write my notes. I don't need anyone proofreading it. Um, it's there, it's done. I send it and it goes it's like, Oh God. All right. You know, you should add this and that. Um, but it's part of the enjoyment of it and helping to push to profession. And I think a lot of us are, Oh, I'm excited that I'm in a place. No, you should be really with someone who's going to do these sort of things. So, you know, I know I talked to all my CIs prior to getting in and if they're not, you know, looking to advance themselves or push you, then maybe you should go about looking for other places. Uh, it's not too hard to set up a contract with a place. You just say, Hey, I would really like to be there. Would you be interested? And usually the people who are trying to push a profession like Tom, like Brandon, like all the other guests that we've had on the show will go out and be like, all right, I'll sign a paper or two. Um, it may not be for that, you know, affiliation, maybe for two down the road, but something to definitely take consideration of for all you guys out there.
1: And the other thing is it's fun. It's fun to like get somebody in, see them have a problem and then you do your thing and they're better. I mean that's mm-hmm. it doesn't get any better than that. You know, you work with a lot of athletes to see somebody come in that you know struggles with you know walking or in pain, and you get to see them out back on the field. That's that's what it's all about. You know, it's like you know, you involve yourself in where you're working in the community. You know, it's you end up you get these you work with patients that get better, and you run into them. I remember when I was new, I was afraid to run into patients outside of the clinic, and, and now it's fun because it's like you know, they're always happy because it's like they're it makes you feel good see somebody out doing something that they, they couldn't do, and you help them do that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like where our new office is, it's right next door to a gym. And it's like it's been the best thing. You know, of course, with the pandemic, it stopped for a while. But I absolutely love all day long looking out the window and people I've treated walking by waving on the way into the gym. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how, how much better is that? You've got these people. now. You're, you're altering their, their lifestyle. They're staying active. I mean, all day long, you get the people waving, just looking in the windows. I mean, Oof. if that doesn't motivate you, I mean, that's, you know, maybe you should have thought something else to do. Yeah, absolutely. Well said, man.
0: I think what you brought up to me when, with one of our mentoring sessions was, you know, most people get 80% better, whether it's just time or just doing the basic sort of things. It's, you're like, you have to take it that extra 10 to 20%. And I think... The individuals are taking those extra 10 20 percent will will do those sort of things we'll wave to you we'll stop in they'll give you a gift or something like that um it's you know working to get that 10 20 percent so you know hearing those sort of things i obviously and seeing you i know that's what's happening at your place
1: but that's the problem with like all these other places if so some, somebody's going to get 70 percent whether you do anything or not you know, person you know somebody gets their knee replaced you know they were in a lot of pain beforehand they couldn't walk they get to 70 percent. they can walk okay their pain isn't as bad as it used to they think it's a success so that therapist is then validated because that person's happy But mm-hmm. that person doesn't know that there's a difference yeah mm-hmm. that's you know back to like you know being advocates we need to make we need to weed out that type of stuff you know we shouldn't be settling for that because that's really we did nothing. Mm-hmm. We need to be able to we should be able to tote our own horn that what we do. And we still struggle with that as a profession.
2: Yeah, if it takes you to get um, you know, someone with a new replacement, it takes them eight months or a year to get to that seventy percent. Well, you probably didn't do, you know, your good a good job. Again, there was more more time or some other variables happening instead of being able to get that person 70% in like six weeks, you yeah. know? So w- with that, um, like Jeremy said, that those small percentages of uh, therapists, um, that do go that extra mile and things like that. Um, you know, what, what would you want to see from, from newer grads, I guess, kind of what's your, your future, um, you know, what do you want to see from your understudies and, and I guess future profession, uh, future uh, PTs coming into this profession?
1: I would just say have, have the courage to like, want to like stand up to, you know, like, like when you're looking for your job, we always just, they just kind of take what the person's giving them. We need to be advocates for what we want. You know, we're al- allowed to you know stand up for yourself. You know if you're being told this is what your productivity is supposed to be you're allowed to have a input in that yeah if we just we need you know we come out like the new grads has come out so subservient to what they're the jobs they're choosing we need to they need to kind of advocate for themselves in the beginning and and that's the only way we're going to get away from these you know, high volume corporate type places if Everyone that interviews for a job says, this is what I want. As long, until, so, as, long as somebody will settle, then that spot is filled. We, uh, everyone has to kind of come together to build everything up, to improve it all. Cause it's just, it's a downward spiral. You know, it's a business. They're gonna take, you know, a lot of employers aren't recruiting for talent. They're recording, recruiting to see people that would see patients to make them money. We need to force that to change. Mm-hmm. the new grads taking the jobs and settling that continues to drop. It's just like reimbursement. there's one company that's going to negotiate a contract and take a lower rate for a certain payer, that screws everybody.
2: And so, as much as twenty years ago, that's what we were doing. That's what the profession did—just undercutting each other. And now, here's where we are. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, we're paying the price for that. Yep. But we never ever stood up for ourselves as a
1: profession, though. We've always just taken it. So as much as individual students have to stand up for themselves as a profession, we have to stand up for saying, "No, we're not doing this." And but it's still going on. Yeah. You know, and, and that's because the therapists will take the jobs with a high volume. The employers can negotiate these contracts to take less. It's just this vicious cycle we're stuck in. Yeah. I think the way that now with the, the the higher student loan rates for the new grads, that's getting higher and higher. The salaries are getting a little lower. At some point, there's going to be a tipping point where it's going to somebody's hand is going to have to get forced. Hopefully, it's forced in our favor where, you know, our education is worth more than what the job offers are. Yeah. hmm
0: because all the research is starting to support it in our favor, that we are a more cost-effective option for pretty much anything musculoskeletal. I'm sorry, I don't know all the research in the non-musculoskeletal realms or neuromusculoskeletal realms. Um, Yeah, I mean, we need to – I mean, it's out there, uh, and we need to – again, we need to advocate it. Uh, We need to – who are
1: we telling? That's the problem.
0: That's the problem. I think mostly – I mean, I always kind of, you know, marketed towards the people, uh, probably don't do as good of a job of going towards physicians or anyone else in the, I guess the medical realm. Uh, um, but that's it. It's just, it stops there. So we need to start, you know, getting past that getting to the, the other medical professionals. We need to make sure our patients are advocating beyond just themselves. Um, because, uh, yeah. Again, you're going to get to that tipping point. I think we're already starting to see it. Um, of that sort of thing says is, is it worth it to go get a doctorate and come out only making 60, 70 K with taxes and all that sort of stuff? Is it, is it becoming worth it?
1: Yeah, if yeah, you're so looking Probably at not. over a hundred thousand in student loans.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm, right.
1: Well, I, mean, I feel would, like throw that stuff at the insurance company. Look, this is the the evidence is stating that we're going to do people better, quicker. You know, you need to pay us likewise. That's, yeah. That's I think that's what the association needs to start advocating that way.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. I've always said that we, we, as a profession, play too nice in the sandbox. And I think some of the, you know, me and Jeremy's generation of therapists and um, pro, uh, the Need to take more of those positions in advocacy. And the, because mostly advocacy is, you know, 50 year old therapists that stop treating and now go into like that type of setting. But they have that mindset of when they practiced in the 90s, early 2000s, that does us no good. No. Like we need the people who've been in the trenches more recently up doing these um, in the advocacy roles, kind of pushing that needle forward. Because we have these older-minded or, um, yeah, I guess older-minded therapists up in these positions not doing us justice, trying to be too nice and political with it. Yeah, I agree.
0: Well, uh, anything else? Well, I guess in terms of, we'll wrap up things with uh, mentorship and those sort of things. Anything that you know, you recommend, especially more towards the, the students or your mentees or anything like that, anything that sets them apart, um, anything like that, or anything that you're concerned about, um, in regards to the next generations as we're kind of bringing that up.
1: Well, the key is like, for you know, when I work with you, Jeremy, it's like, you're just very humble, you know, there's, you know, no egos. That's, that's the biggest thing when you're you're going through like you know being a mentee it's just you know just be humble just be open and that's where you know where there's such this passion and drive to to get it right away it doesn't happen right away it's mm. the being patient you know and it's like you know I'm, i get it, like everybody keeps saying well how can you see that i'm like well, I've looked at like a thousand knees. it's easy to see mm. it i've seen a thousand knees. how many knees have you seen and that's usually like my reference with that it's like you know like they ask how can you see this looking at it a lot and you know, think about any sort of any research the higher the end the better the research is you know if sure. your end is as a, as a newer therapist getting into residency or you know, you know being a mentee your end is still low you have to accept that mm-hmm. you know, like for you guys jeremy brandon you've, you're at the point now you've seen stuff over and over and over again you just you see it it's there mm-hmm. the, the younger mm-hmm. therapists they have to be patient and understand it takes time it takes that diligence of that steady constant looking at each everything. And the key is, like I mentioned earlier, if you look at every one of your patients as a little mini case study, you're building your own evidence that way mm-hmm. in the beginnings of it. Your n is low. You have, you don't have that quality of evidence to really use to guide to guide it, but you're building it that, mm-hmm. you know, the newer therapists have to look at it that way. It takes time. You guys didn't get where you are. In one day, it, takes a, it, took a, it took a lot of hard work, a lot of practice. And it was, for both of you, that steady discipline of looking at everything objectively, constantly mm. testing, retesting, testing, retesting. If we don't do that, how the hell do you know what's working? Mm. If you, just, you throw everything at somebody and they get better, it doesn't do anything. You have to be methodical and just be patient, take your time, do your due diligence.
0: Yeah, I remember, you know, all, I was, I mean, I had the best situation where my mentor was our desks were right next to each other and we treated pretty much every day of the week together besides a couple hours uh, and I remember early on it was just like I'd be working with someone and then it wasn't even an established mentorship session you would just literally be walking by and be like eh, you should do this and you would just come in and and do it and the patient was like oh, wow I feel a lot better and I remember early on I'm like "Fuck, shit, come on <laughs> what the fuck Uh, like you're making me look bad out there and then i was just like wow you know you know understanding i'm like wow, at that point you're you've been practicing for 15 years you've been pushing yourself with education that sort of stuff um you know is that's that's the point of it that's the whole point You're, you're trying to make shortcuts for me for all the things it took however 15 years for you to figure out if you don't have that you know humble i guess you call it humble It's just you know just respect i think of like understanding like that's what's the point of mentorship um and uh i really like appreciate all that and you know you know find those people out there who do that for you that's all they're trying to do it's not trying to make you look bad or anything like that they're just trying to make shortcuts for you and yeah you made a lot of shortcuts but yeah i remember that it's just like i almost got scared of you walking by my clients at one point i was like god damn (laughs) And I sort of like having to think of like, I should start apologizing to my patients because they got stuck on my schedule. Cause you know, Tom's right there and he's just like, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah
0: let me do this real quick. Or yeah. Yeah. Did you see this? I'm like, nope.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: so uh, yeah, you got, you got to have your humble pie. And you know, I always say there's always a bigger fish. I mean, at this point, seven years I'm going to fellowship. I still have mentors, you guys in this, in this chat here. Um, and I'm still learning. And, yeah, that's the big thing is there not until the day you retire, um, there's always someone you can learn from for sure.
1: Yeah, the second you think you know everything, you're no longer you're useless at that point. 20 years, I'm that's still sad. learning different things. It's great. You know, medicine's changing, so you have to change with it.
0: Well said. I think that's a good one to wrap up on. Unless, Brandon, you have any other things to no. stir the pot? No.
2: Great stuff, Tom. Thanks for uh, taking a time out. Uh, yeah. This was uh, one of our longer uh, podcasts, a lot of good stuff said. So thank you for taking <laughs> the time out and uh, being a guest on our show, man. Yeah.
1: Thanks. Uh, this was great. I had a great time. Yeah.
0: It's one of my favorites already. Um, I guess uh, kind of wrap things up. Um, yeah. If you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, or anything like that, seeking mentorship, like someone like Tom and Brandon those sort of things, uh, we're at Minips and Sips on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm at the Decent Doctor and at Traffic of Therapeutics. Brandon's at Think Like a Fellow and at um, Pursuit PT. Now, Brandon, uh, Tom, sorry, um, does a lot of the stuff. Uh, some of the videos for uh, BSR Physical Therapy. So yeah, definitely tune into that. And um, yeah, uh, cheers everyone. And unless anybody else has got anything else to say,
2: oh man, cheers, Tom. Um, anything else
1: before we wrap up? Thanks a lot. It was awesome. A
0: lot of fun. Awesome. All right. Cheers, everybody.
1: Take care.